Hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church here in Chicago, Illinois, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you might go. Uh, last week, if you were able to join us, we were talking through the subject of true contentment in God's higher way. Today, we're going to tackle the topic of true contentment in a living faith. And the reason that we're speaking about this today is because, as we'll see, there's a big difference between mere inherited religion and a living faith in God. So to talk about this today, we're going to focus on this statement that true contentment is found when we leave dead religion and develop a living faith in Jesus. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today that gives us great faith in the fact that you're alive, that you're real, that you give us the ability not only to know about you, but to encounter you in your presence and power. God, we're praying that through your word today, you would bring us to a place of not just dead religion, but a living faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so today we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week, where we were talking about a man named Naaman who went to Israel to receive ministry from an Israeli prophet named Elisha, who ministered about 800 plus years before Jesus Christ. Now, Naaman thankfully received his healing from the God of Israel whenever he went to receive this ministry from Elijah. But there was another man, not only in Naaman's case, but in uh, Elijah's case named Gehazi, who was a servant of Elijah, who didn't necessarily have the same type of experience that Naaman had. So we're going to compare the two and find out what we can learn from them. So if you have a Bible today, let's open up to 2 Kings chapter 5, starting in verse 15, and we'll read together. It says, then he, meaning Naaman, returned to the man of God, he and all his company. And he came and stood before him, meaning Elisha. And he, meaning Naaman, said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. But he, meaning Elisha, said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he, meaning Elisha, refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please let there be given to your servant two mule loads of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering or sacrifice to any God but the Lord. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon to worship there, leaning on my arm, and I bow in the house of Ramon. When I bow myself in the house of Ramon, the Lord pardon your servant in this, ma this matter. He, meaning Elijah, said to him, Go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elijah, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this name in the Syrian, and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman, and when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he, meaning Gehazi, said, All is well. My master has sent me to say, There have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, Be pleased to accept two talents. 
And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver and two bags and with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. And when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house. And he sent the men away and they departed. He went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said to him, Where have you been, Gehazi? And and he said, Your servant went nowhere. But he, meaning Elijah, said to him, Did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like snow. Now, what we immediately see from the scripture is that we learn that God is a supernatural healer and that he uses miraculous encounters throughout history to bring people into relationship with himself. Maybe that's your story of how you came to meet Jesus. I know it was mine. And the primary purpose of the gifts of God operating through Elisha, the prophets of Israel, and the ministers of the New Testaments was this, to turn the Israelites back to the law of God and to bring those who were previously uninitiated into saving faith. As we head towards Pentecost Sunday next week, it's good for modern believers to remember this. It's also good for us to heed the admonition of the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church when he said this in 1 Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, Brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He also said in 1 Corinthians 14 that we should pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, as was the goal, Naaman's response to his supernatural healing was repentance, meaning a changing of a change of mind and trust in the living God. He now declared that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. Now, this did not mean that God had to be worshiped in Israel, but that the God of Israel is the one true God. Naaman had a history, though, of worship of false deities in the land of Syria who had previously been unable to help him. He was immersed, in essence, in dead religion. Thus, Naaman left these former foundations in search of real hope. This is the same reason why many people today choose to leave their faiths, cultural paradigms, ethnic and geographic norms because they fail to receive the pra- see the pragmatic benefits. So this brings up for us the discussion of inherited religion versus a living faith. And what God desires for all of us is true worship through a living faith. Now, you might have heard the thought before that as people become more educated and the world becomes more globally connected, conservative faith would inevitably be on the decline. Yet sociologists are finding the opposite to be true. What is on the decline throughout the world today is inherited religion where people ascribe to a certain faith simply because it was what was passed down to them. 
What is on the rise, conversely, is chosen faith based on people's encounters like Naaman's with the living God. This is why we're calling it a living faith. For example, in a study found in the 2015 book, From Every Tribe and Nation, a historian study of the global Christian story, Notre Dame professor Mark Knoll reported that there were more Christians attending church in China, which is a nation having traditionally Buddhist, Taoist, Confucian, folk, and non-religious influences. That at the time of the writing, there were more people attending church in China at that time than were in all of historically, culturally Christian Europe. Another study from Gordon Conwell Seminary's Center for the Study of Global Christianity reported that by 2020, the very year in which we're living now, Christianity will have grown from, get this, 11.4 million Christians in East Asia, which is comprised of China, Korea, Korea, and Japan for the survey, that 11.4 million Christians were in all that region in 1970, and it equated to 1.2% of the population. But by 2020, 171.1 million and 10.5% of the population would there exist. In 1910, the same report said only 12 million people, or 9% of Africa's population, were Christians, but they will number 630 million, or 49.3% of the populace, by 2020. When the study was released, it was reported that last Sunday in each, in each of the nations of Nigeria, Kenya, Uganda, Tanzania, and South Africa, there were more Anglicans in church than there were Anglicans and Episcopalians in all of Britain and the United States combined. Go figure. Now, why is this happening? Well, I think my testimony can explain some of it a bit like Naaman's. And my faith is not the result of global imperialism, but was one that I came into while studying at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I've been throughout my lifetime surrounded continually by various worldviews and religions, yet through perpetual research and encounters with the power of God, Jesus' claims have over and over again proven themselves to be true. In my research, every claim that Jesus has made about his identity and divinity have been substantiated. In my personhood, every promise that he has made in scripture has been effective to positively transform all areas of my life by the love of God. It's what he wants to do for you as well. I found that the biblical worldview is not separated from the situations of the day, but instead rightly interprets them. It is the only worldview that answers questions of origin, meaning how things were made, ontology, meaning how they were designed to function, and epistemology, meaning how we know what we know, in a scientifically consistent and historically faithful manner. 
At the same time, with brutal honesty, it deals with the realities of sin in the world while still providing a hope found in the redemptive work of Jesus at the cross. A modern scholar and dissector of popular philosophy, Ravi Zacharias, summarizes it this way. He said, faith in the biblical sense is substantive based on the knowledge that the one in whom that faith is placed has proven that he is worthy of that trust. In its essence, faith is a confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in his power. So that even when his power does not serve my end, my confidence in him remains because of who he is. Now, the lesson here is this, that like Naaman, to truly be content, you must have a time of reckoning with God to serve him because the identity and claims of Jesus are true and not just convenient. You must come to a moment where you transition from inherited religion to a living faith in Christ. Now, we urge you to pursue this because your eternal destiny literally depends on it. And we have resources on our website that can assist you on this journey. Not only that, we'd love to help you walk through any obstacles or questions should you choose to contact us. And we do this simply as a service. And like Elijah, he refused the gift from Naaman at the inception of his faith to ensure that Naaman knew that it was God and not Elijah through whom he had received the healing. As Naaman chose to worship the God of Israel, he could learn later through the scripture about giving to the Lord in his work and tithes and offerings, yet this wasn't the moment for that. Naaman was learning who God is and how to worship him. Naaman said in right response that he would no longer offer sacrifices to any God but the Lord, the God of Israel. And Naaman asked for two mule loads of earth to be able to build a mud brick altar that we see prescribed in Old Testament times. In Exodus twenty twenty four, God said that an altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. Now, in our lives, the question for us becomes, to what are we building altars today? How are you building your altar to the Lord, even when you are separated from the place of worship as Naaman would be? That means in the time of our shelter in place when we can't gather together as a church, how are you building an altar to the Lord? We all need to build altars in our homes as we wait for the regathering of the church. And this is where we'll find true contentment. Even so, though, Naaman in his situation had concerns. Naaman was asking to be pardoned when he had to go into the house of Ramon in service to the king of Syria. Now, Ramon was the storm god, also known as Baal Hadad, a false deity worshipped in Syria at that time. And Naaman's heart was intent on solely serving the one true God of Israel. So Elijah said to go in peace, which meant that God would be looking at the worship of Naaman's heart and would not be judging Naaman 
by his environment. Now that's good news for many of you today because this means that you can be in a family, a friendship group, and even a workplace where people do not honor God, yet still be a worshiper of, worshiper of God in spirit and in truth. Now what Naaman would come to learn is just as he was helped by the Israeli servant girl who told him that he could be healed in Israel, who told him to go meet the prophet Elisha, now Naaman would be placed back in his original environment to be a witness to the king of Syria. You see, it was almost like a pay it forward moment. And this is God's methodology for outreach and discipleship. We should never hope for or long for just a Christian ghetto where we're only wanting to be about or be around other people who are Christian. We should, however, be grounded in a local church. Everybody, everyone who's calling on the name of the Lord needs a local church by which you're building and sharing your life with other believers unto the worship of God. Yet we should also understand that simultaneous to God working to cleanse us of our sin, he puts us back into contact with other sinners so that they too can come into a living faith in Jesus. Now, when we see this as a framework of our lives, this excites us, and it's when we will truly be content. So the question is, if that's Naaman's story, and he had a living in faith in God by his encounter with God, whatever happened to Gehazi? Well, first, you must understand that just as in Gehazi's case, God will judge all of those who practice wickedness, even the religious. We saw that Gehazi was a liar and that he did plenty of unscrupulous things in the name of religion. And many of you have previously chosen to separate yourself from the church or faith because you've seen poor examples. You've been hurt in some way by the church or you've been hurt by people who came in the name of Christ but did not represent him or his word. But the problem with that is, is that, as I've said in previous weeks, you can throw out the baby with the bathwater. And in moments like these, God's calling you back to himself. Why? Because you need to understand God will judge even the religious. Now, Gehazi showed us that we can be surrounded by the things of God, but lack a demonstrable love for God. And this is a warning to all of us. So where did Gehazi go wrong? Gehazi was ultimately a man of discontent. As Naaman found a living faith in God and came into a great contentment in him, Gehazi represented the opposite, which was discontent. And he's a metaphor for what today in this message we'll call a greater high syndrome. Now, what do I mean by this? The greater high syndrome is what ultimately equates to a lack of contentment. It's when someone lacks a general sense of gratitude in life. And truly, these people are hard to live with, to deal with, to relate with. And I'm sure that many of you can think of someone in your life that might express this type of attitude. Now, you may be able to recognize various examples of the greater high syndrome. You see it in people who are trapped in certain types of addictions where they always have to go to a harder or harder substance to get the same type of high that they experienced in the moment before. You might see it in an adrenaline junkie. 
You might see it when someone who's been overstimulated suffers from dull sensitivities in their dopamine zone, which is the chemical that gives us pleasure even in our bodies. And in this case, their reward sensors have been overloaded and they always need another hit to maintain a sense of equilibrium. It's actually why kids often react so poorly when they're told to turn off various forms of media after sitting for long periods of time in front of screens. Have you had to deal with that this week? Maybe so. And it's why couples lack satisfying physical intimacy when pornography has actually been their standard for sexual encounters. Yet it's quietly even hits closer to home than this. Some of you might say, well, none of those situations apply to me. Well, I'd like to submit to you that contentment it can be elusive in our culture because today it's almost expected that most upwardly mobile people are taking what our parents would have called trips of a lifetime, but that they should do it annually. And the challenge is, is that if you live this way, you'll need something to get you over the top, have some sort of over the top experience every year to satisfy your high and make you feel like you've actually done something. And even these over the top encounters or experiences get old in and of themselves. Now, Gehazi represented someone who was continuously surrounded by high moments, surrounded by the goodness and the miracles of God through the ministry of Elisha. But he was always, but he always felt like he needed more to be satisfied. Enough was never enough for Gehazi. That's why he went after Naaman to get some sort of material reparation. And Gehazi's discontent led him to disregard God's edicts, mishandling his position, resources, and opportunities in pursuit of what he felt like he deserved and would ultimately make him happy. Now, what's going on in Gehazi's heart can also be going on in ours. How often in pursuit of a sense of happiness do we mishandle the resources that God's entrusted to us, mishandle our relationships and our times, and prioritize other things than the kingdom of God, which God said was supposed to come first. Christian apologist J.P. Moreland, he's a cultural commentator as well, said it this way, that the current understanding of happiness identifies it as a pleasurable feeling. Pleasant feelings are surely better than unpleasant ones, but the problem today is that people are obsessively concerned with feeling happiness People are slaves to their feelings. Feelings are wonderful servants, but terrible masters. And when people make happiness their goal, they do not find it. And as a result, start living their lives vicariously through identification with celebrities. My goodness, how true is that? And this is why we desperately must find true contentment in our lives. I refuse to live that way. I hope you do as well. Now, Naaman exemplified a man changed by God. He was not looking for what he could hold on to, but what he could give. He had a heart of thankfulness. 
So when Gehazi asked Naaman for the talent of silver, Naaman gave Gehazi two. Naaman had a living faith and out of deep appreciation to the Lord, wanted to go above and beyond what was asked of him. This should be our hearts as well. And this is literally what the freedom of true contentment looks like. When I'm content in what God's given me, I'm happy to give of myself in any and every way that I can that will honor the Lord. Now, as opposed to Naaman's living faith, though, Gehazi ended up in the displeasure of the Lord. It was easy for Gehazi to simply live off of the secondhand smoke of Elijah without having depth of conviction in his own relationship with God. This is common for people who have grown up around the ministry of the church, yet have never come to Jesus in repentance of their own sins. This is why Jesus said that we all must be born again to see or even enter the kingdom of God. The lesson here is this, that the fire of living faith is good, but secondhand smoke can be deadly. We all need to ask ourselves in what ways we're living in the secondhand smoke of inherited religion. Why? Because when you live as Gehazi did, sadly, the same issues that cling to the world can begin to cling to you. This is what happened as Gehazi was struck with the same leprosy from which Naaman had previously suffered. Now, if this is true, we've got to ask ourselves the question, what does all of this mean for us in regards to God and specifically in regards to our relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, it means this, that Jesus comes to set us free from our life of sin and our discontent. Rather than running after the next high, you can actually experience a worldview shift just like Naaman did. You can honestly look to God to find your foundation of value in the world. You can embrace God's purpose for your life. And as you learn to love him, you can glorify his name by fulfilling that purpose. Pastor, author, and theologian John Piper said it this way, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. When the apostle Peter was speaking to a crowd after healing a man who had been crippled, he spoke about how to come into this fully satisfied life. In Acts chapter 3, verse 17, he said it this way. He said, and now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So we see the good news that it's never too early and it's never too late to turn to Jesus. Whether you started in ignorance or rebellion, your time can be right now. And Jesus is the one in whom we find true contentment. So what are we to do? I would submit to you that we should alter ourselves in two ways. Number one, we should alter our thoughts. Both Naaman and Gehazi needed to repent. 
and so do we. We need to identify the pursuits outside of Christ that you have depended on to give you happiness. You need to turn to God who can give you everlasting satisfaction instead. Number two, you need to build an altar in your life. You need to pursue the answers to your questions so that you can transition from a mere inherited religion to a living faith. Again, we have resources on our website that can help you with that. Like Naaman, you need to begin to build an altar to the living God, the one true God in your home. Now, we mentioned Rabbi Zecharias earlier, and uh, having grown up in plural, the pluralism and relativism of India, he goes on to talk about his epiphany in Christ this way. He said, I came to him, meaning Jesus, because I did not know which way to turn. I remained with him because there is no other way I wish to turn. I came to him longing for something I did not have. I remain with him because I have something I will not trade. I came to him as a stranger. I remain with him in the most intimate of friendships. I came to him unsure about the future. I remain with him certain about my destiny. I came to him amid the thunderous cries of a culture that has 330 million deities. I remain with him knowing that truth cannot be all-inclusive. And this is what it looks like to have true contentment this revelation, and it's why the Apostle Peter proclaimed in Acts chapter 4, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And this name and this person is Jesus. Why? Because Jesus went to the cross to take your punishment and my punishment for our sin against God. A price had to be paid, and Jesus, out of love for us, paid it voluntarily. In love, Christ endured the justice of God that had to be satisfied. He, he satisfied the justice of God for you and for me so that we might come into a place of forgiveness. Because Jesus was himself sinless, he rose from the dead three days later to provide eternal life for those who would believe. Like Naaman, you can turn away from empty philosophies unable to truly heal you today. And you can turn instead to a living faith in a living God that can save your soul, making you truly content both now and forevermore. Now, if you hear this message today and you say to yourself, you know what? I've been like Naaman, needing an encounter with the living God through his word, through his spirit. And I'm, I'm willing to turn today if I could just be touched by God just as Naaman was touched. I want to start by praying for you today. But understand this, that as God touches you, you also need to respond like Naaman, coming to repentance and faith in the one true God of Israel. Jesus Christ, his son, 
who died on that cross to save your soul, even as he did for me many years ago. He can do that for you today. So if you're ready to do that, would you pray along with me? Father God, I admit to you today that I've lived in empty and dead religion, and I've needed a touch from your hand to save my soul, heal my body, heal my mind, and bring me back into right relationship with you. And I'm asking you to answer my questions and help me to receive that touch from you today. Heal me of my brokenness. Heal me of my hurts, even my mishandlings from those who called themselves religious people or leaders and have mishandled me in the past. God, I say I come to you today as the one true living God. And I believe that Jesus took my punishment and my sin on the cross. He died in my place, but because he was sinless, three days later, you raised him from the dead so I could have forgiveness of sins and new life in you. I say today that he's the one true God. He's my Lord and I wanna love him and serve him as he loved me today. I believe you raised him from the dead and through that resurrection, I'm asking you to give me new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the good news is, is that if you prayed that prayer, God says you have new life in him. This is a start of you, like Naaman, starting a new walk with the living God. Now, we wanna teach you how to build those altars. So would you go with me to secondcitychurch.com slash new life? There you can find not only information about next steps, but also resources that will help you in how to take those next steps as a part of commu a community of faith in the Lord. So if that's you, let's go to God today in this moment of worship, thanking him for saving your soul. And if you are a believer who's been walking with God, but have questions, you might have had an inherited faith, but not a living faith, I encourage you to go to that same resource page because we've got answers, we've got books, we have resources that can help you get those questions answered so that you can come into a place of living faith yourself and understand that God Almighty is a living God, that he comes in his power, he comes in his word, he comes with his spirit to both heal you and show you who he is, that you might worship him for not only what he's done, but who he is in all the earth, in our lives, in Jesus' name. So let's worship him according to that goodness this week, and let's get involved in community groups where you can encourage others to do the same, bringing them as well into a living faith, in Jesus' name. Have a great week. Bring a friend next week, and we'll see you then. God bless.